This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Three and a half minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxall. I'm Dr. Beach. And let's try that again. I'm Dr. Beach. And now, now that you, you can really hear me. are Dr. Beach, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> good morning, Dr. Beach. Uh, good morning, Anth. How are you going? I'm really well. And we want to thank Jazz for yeah, thank just a wonderfully smooth time into this hour. A nice transition, wasn't it? That's gorgeous. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of a blip there, but that's We're, okay. We're yeah, in a different yeah. studio. Stop and yeah, 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 yeah. These things happen. We don't make apologies for anything. <laughs> <laughs> You're on 3 R. This is Radio Marinaro. This is an hour of marine and coastal news and views. And um, we, uh, after thanking Jazz, we also want to thank you, the subscribers who subscribed last week. We did a lot of haranguing last week and the week before. <laughs> And we're not going to harangue anymore. All we're going to do is briefly say thank you to all of those subscribers who rang up and donated, well, donated, oh, gave money, everything. became subscribers to the entire station and especially those who rang up to Radio Marinara and said, we like you, Radio Marinara, and we're going to give you some money so you can continue for another year. Thank and you very much. And because of that, we decided we're just going to have a calm back-to-core business. Uh, indeed, back-to-core back business. Back-to-core business. <laughs> and indeed, I'm going to talk about some cores later on. I, I, I thought, did you like that segue? I did. Uh, that was very professional. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Radio Marinara. 
<laughs> hey, but before we do, before we get back to core business, we, there have been subscribers in in the last hour, and um, Jazz didn't get a chance to thank them. And we thought because it is Marinara, and in keeping with having a subscriber here that we wish to read out and thank, we thought in keeping with our our um, usual pros, process on Marinara of giving someone a fish name, yeah, we thought we'd welcome into the studio a special guest, Scarlett, who's going to read out our fish name for our, for the subscriber in the last hour. Over to you, Scarlett. You've got to get close to that microphone. Terry and Megan Blobfish. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Scarlett. So, yeah, so um, there's been a subscriber and, of course, you can keep subscribing right up until a date yet to be visible to me in September. Um, and um, you still can go in for the prizes. Oh, until Wednesday the 26th of September. That's right, Wednesday the 20th. 26th of September, which gives you another couple of weeks, but why not do it now? Uh, Get on the web. Sure. Get on the web. Uh, you could try getting on the phone. Yeah, Kent's out there yeah. in the green room. He might be able to answer it. Yeah, he, he might. He might. He, he, he might indeed. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. also, you know, he's, 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 you know, we're, we're not after that this week, though. Just get online and, you know, we'll just have a quiet. Anyway, back to core business. So, core business. Core business. Later on the show, I want to talk about um, sediment cores, which have been punched down through the sea sediment down in Antarctica, which have revealed that in things called diatom oozes. Have you ever heard of diatom oozes, Anth? I have. I've heard of both diatoms and oozes, and I've heard of diatom oozes, but I have no idea other than they're probably oozes made up of lots of little things. They are, indeed. That's where we get a lot of oil from. Stuff that, you ah. know, plankton, which has rained down onto the sea floor over eons and eons and eons, a very long time, and they've got lots of lipids and stuff in them and they've been highly pressed and made Ooh. into oil. And, and that's and what we dig up and pump into the atmosphere. But they lipids. all... Lipids, so li- lipids. Fats. Fats. Greasy things. Greasy things. So it's a bit like loads and loads and loads of fish and chips that have been something... Cre- no, it's not, is it? No. Mm, yeah, no. <laughs> kind of like, like that. Anyway, about 10% of the sea floor is covered in diatom ooze and these... We're going to talk co- about it later, yeah? We're, yeah, we are going to talk about it later. In enormous detail. In enormous detail. And contains a bit of mercury. Quite a bit of mercury. Ooh, okay. According right. to a paper which has been published by a few Germans... Uh, just appeared in one of my favourite journals, which happens to be called Science. Oh, brilliant. Okay, and then what? I've, we've got a bunch of news and views. I've seen some wacky stuff in the news this week that's running coastal that I just want to bring to people's attention. And um, you've got a doozy as well. Um, and then, yes, during the week, the Bureau of Meteorology came out with the climate outlook. They mm-hmm. do a three-month climate outlook. And in that, and I had a good look at it, and, and a couple of things stood out to me, and they were particularly around El Nino. And um, and the likelihood, and so then I started thinking about well, you know El Nino and and the Indian di- Ocean Dipole. And I started thinking about these two things, and I thought, you know what, we could we talk about these things all the time, but do we ever really kind of talk about what they are? Little you know, boy. Like, well, yeah, well, yes, it means little boy, but like, how has it formed? What does it do? What you know? So I'm gonna have a look at that. We're I'm looking forward that. to that because I, I have a lot of trouble understanding that so stuff. Why? Unless you're kind of meteorologist and you're in this every day. And I'm not. I'm in on the bomb every day. You know, I'm at radar. Yeah, yeah. I love looking at the oh, radar, but, yeah, but radar that's about as far as it goes, my yeah. understanding. Yeah. So anyway, I thought let's do that. Let's strip it back and let's do the nerdy non-meteorological layman's version of what um, El Nino is. Outstanding, Anth. So that, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go from large, massive, global-scale movements to tiny, tiny little things in the ocean tiny little that guys. form oozes. Hmm. This is what we do on Radio Marinara. You got the weather? 
I have got the weather today. It's, it's pretty sunny outside. It's not bad. It's a bit chilly this morning, down to around 16 degrees, and it's going to get up to 13. There might be a little bit of rain, less than one millimetre. So partly cloudy, high chance of showers, most likely in the morning and oh. afternoon. Oh. I, I don't know if it's still high chance of showers looking out there. <laughs> Winds west-southwest 15 to 20 kilometres per hour turning south during the morning, then becoming light in the late evening. Looking forward to um, tomorrow, 14 degrees and sunny, minimum of four, still a little bit chilly. And and we're spring, by the way, happy spring. Oh, oh, and happy Father's Day. Oh, it is too. It is too. We, we, this is a special Father's Day edition of Radio Maranoa. It is, yeah, yeah. We're fathers gonna are yeah. in the studio. <laughs> Gosh, well, but, but I, like many fathers, I suspect, really don't give a tinker's cuss yeah, about I Father's don't, Day. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. uh, tomorrow, 14 degrees and sunny, the chance of fog in the early morning, areas of morning frost and nearby hill in the... Well, areas of morning frost about the nearby hills. That's tomorrow. There's okay. a little bit of frost up there. Um, but you don't want know too much about tomorrow. You're going to get on your phones and look at it anyway. Um, anyway, 14 degrees tomorrow, 18 degrees on Tuesday, 19 on Wednesday. Uh, so indeed warming up a little bit, but then drop it back down to 17 and 15 later Ooh. on in the week and not much rain on the horizon. If you are heading out on the water today, you'll be interested in knowing what's happening with the tides. And at Point Lonsdale, which of course represents the fair heads of our wonderful Port Phillip Bay. I love this alliteration. It's um, going to be low tide at 9.54am. So in about three quarters of an hour, it's going to be a low tide of 0.52 metres at the heads. Coit a swell net, which is all I know what's happening about the surface, just running swell net as reported by the Sunday Age. Strong swells are building across the Victorian coast, though fresh onshore winds are creating poor conditions at exposed locations. So as you know, all you surfers out there, onshore winds flatten it all out. They've probably known that. I think they have known that. They don't need me to tell them that. I reckon the two, you and I being the great surf aficionados that we are. Yeah. Um, you know, they've probably been sitting there thinking, gosh, I wish they'd get to the surf report because we trust these two mm. so much with their surf knowledge. Yeah, our, our deep knowledge <laughs> of, you know, tri-fins and all of that. We need Dr Surf. We do. Hey, Michael just rang in. There are currently dolphins in the Manar- Maribyrnong near, golf, near the golf course. Oh. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, anyone, if you're down that way, the, the dolphins, you can probably see them from the golf course or from the path along the side there. And Maribyrnong. So is there a Maribyrnong golf course or is it Essendon golf course or something? The golf course. That's a golf course. Wow. Now now I'm wondering myself. How was that fire during the week? God. All that crap that just got dumped into the air and then into the creeks around there. Which which, which these these guys have obviously gone through that, so that's a good thing, I I guess. That they're still alive. Yeah. Hey, we have a – we've got a giveaway. Ace. So this is like, I mean, even though we're not pushing the whole radiothon thing because we're having the, the, the calm after the storm. It is the calm. It is really good to know that if you were a subscriber, for example, at this point, you could get on the phone and you could win one of these. What That's I'm about right. to read out. Yeah. There's a long lead up. And you know, if you were to get on the phone, the best number to ring would be 9388. Um, 1027. Absolutely. And the, it's, it's four double passes. We've got four double passes to see Geraldine Hickey's Max Headroom, which is a comedy special this week live at Triple R. Geraldine Hickey has heard on Breakfasters. Ah, Break, Breakfasters. How do you pronounce it? Breakfasters I, or Breakfasters? You know, I do both and I just flip. It's just, you Me know. Me too. My, my brain flips. There's, there's one line still free if you want. So anyway, um, Geraldine Hickey's Max Headroom, comedy special, live Triple R, performance space. You've got to be able to go this Thursday. So Thursday... 7pm, um, your name will be on the door. It goes for about an hour. Um, 
some of Melbourne's brightest and best comedians will take to the stage in the performance space and, of course, hosting it is our breakfaster slash breakfaster, uh, Geraldine Hickey, who has assembled an all-star lineup featuring some of her favourite local comedians, including, here we go, Harley Breen, Dame Simpson, Cat Richards and Matt Stewart. Oh, this is pretty serious. Oh, and the bar's up and running, thanks to Mountain Goat. Nice one. Nine three. So that's... Double eight, one oh two seven. And it is for a subscriber. That's right. You have to be a subscriber. So have your subscriber card at the ready. I can see Kent taking phone calls he as is. we speak. He's mad for it. To hear um, our Jezza. He's mad well, for and it. Well, and her mates. <laughs> and her mates in the performance space. And, and if you haven't been into one of these Jesus. live to airs at the performance space, it's a fantastic opportunity to not only see our beautiful performance space, but to have a quick tour around the studios, which is often a fascinating thing for people to come in and see, you know, hear our our voices on a Sunday morning, <laughs> just about Monday morning. Uh, yeah. No, 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 better not. That's a bit <laughs> self-aggrandising. Uh, but yeah, come in, check out the Triple R Studios, um, see what happens to a lingerie factory after many years, and um, <laughs> we are enjoy going it. to. Um, we're going to play um, now. In Radiothon, with all of the beautiful chaos that we that we had with um, Bron, you know, being on a deathbed and then recovering and thank goodness she did and doing that killer show last week with all of you guys, we forgot to play a couple of tracks that we've always played um, every year in Radiothon forever. And I honestly thought no one would notice because, you know, you've got to start new traditions at some time, you know, you don't have to have all the old ones. It can be good to move on sometimes, but, but, but it's... Not always good to jettison everything from the past. Um, no, very true. And so, very small sample size, but someone asked me. Actually, two <laughs> people asked me this week and said, hey, what happened to X, Y and Z? Were you related to them? Uh, no. No, good question. Though. No. <laughs> and so, I'm, I'm, we're going to play X, Y and Z. Three tracks that we play every year, uh, which is Song to the Siren, Water Bears and Secrets to the Sea. And um, they're going to be the music. So we're going we're to kick off. So the, the song, song to the Siren, actually, of course, Tim kicked off as the intro to us years and years and years ago when we first started about whenever it was, 22 years ago now. Hey, you know this is show 959? I did not know that. There you go. 22 years we've 22 been going. 22 years. So, so for those people who did notice... Here is Song of the Siren, which we didn't play last week, and which is because it's our calm post-radiothon. We thought, what the hell? Let's play it. Don't you just love that track? It um, I just it, it it lifts me up, but at the same time, it almost puts me to sleep. <laughs> it's soporific, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you on Radio Marinara on Three Triple R? That was the gorgeous. That is, I I don't know when was that? Like the early nineties? It must have been before we started the show. That was a while ago. Um, this mortal coil song to the siren, and, and thank you to the very small sample size of people who actually did ask about that. Um, um, and we will try and remember to play it every radio thing. It's nice to know that people remember the past and they, and they yes. they they're used to things and, yes. they, and when things change it's like and this we, morning when I got in the car and I heard things to do today at 8:30 I thought <laughs> god if, if I slept in am I about to be on air <laughs> Yeah I must admit I did kind of jump out of my <laughs> my skin and went oh I thought uh, that's unusual if we moved to Adelaide half an hour time difference Yeah Hey I saw this doozy of a thing during the week that I just had to bring to your attention um <laughs> 
I, I'm going to talk about two geopolitical marine things. Okay. So, a, a controversial? Uh, well, well, both of them would be controversial. Well, both of them are slightly, but this one is bizarre. I don't know whether you've noticed recently, just in the political sense, the um, what's been happening in the Middle East about Qatar and all the neighbouring countries. The Qatari regime is being isolated, and I don't know whether it's a bullying thing or whatever. But you know, who, whatever's going on, um, the Saudis have closed the land border, and the Emirates and all the others around them are not letting flights come in and go. There's all kinds of hoo-ha going on. Anyway. The Saudis, the reason why this becomes a marine question is because the Saudis, in a somewhat unusual move, have decided or at least announced with a very strong hint that they are thinking of turning Qatar into an island. Nice one. Because it's a peninsula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they can. 60 miles, 60 kilometres across the landmass. They're thinking that it would be really handy to then fully isolate them by digging a canal 60 kilometres wide and 200 metres, sorry, 60 kilometres long and 200 metres wide. And, and, and t- take me back because I have not been reading about what's been happening in the Middle East a lot lately, I have to admit, in you know, my, my ignorance. So Bahrain, Egypt, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates cut ties, all trade ties and diplomatic ties with Qatar in June, the middle of June. So now they want to cut geographical ties <laughs> yeah, as well. exactly right. The thing that struck me was if you think about that part of the world and you think about the UAE and you think about all the, the you know, all the different, you know, the created islands that have happened, you know, there's a whole map of the world created out of islands over yep. there, the kind of the, the way that the marine environment is approached in a kind of a just a kind of almost like an infrastructure sense. Let's just switch it round a bit here. This, however, to me is the first time I've heard of a nation creating an island nation out of another nation. And I just thought that's worthy of mention. It is worthy of mention. Is that not bizarre? Anyway, it, it, let's it, we'll it, follow it, that. It, I don't know it, whether it's it, like it that. is bizarre. Uh, the other thing that struck me that well that didn't strike me in the news. I clearly missed it. It went chunk straight out of my head. I but what little, I didn't miss was the fact that there was a leopard seal at Brighton Beach this uh, week. Yes. Like, God damn. I mean, has that happened before? Leopard seal. Leopard seal. So leopard seals are the other... I've heard of... Are the, are the ones which are very... You know, look, I've look heard of sea aggro. lions. Sea I've lions. Heard of, I've heard of fur seals at Queenscliff. You know, there's that one that kept coming in. There was even an elephant seal that popped in once or twice. I don't yep. know whether I have heard of a leopard seal in the bay over uh, the last... You know more about seals than I do. Mm-hmm. I, and Not I thought much. leopard seals were very much southern ocean. Oh, yeah. So it's because we've been cold? At cold snap? Oh, you know, well, you know, they would come up. They would come up, though. That would be. Right. Yeah. But but still, I mean, they'll go where there's food. But it did seem like a slightly lost leopard seal, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the, the, back in the, it got back in the water. It was all right. <laughs> did so. I missed the end. Did it, did it have to be assisted back into the water? Helped? I'm not sure about this. Because leopard seals are one of those things that, you know, like, well, elephant seals would squish you. They, you know, they wouldn't necessarily kind of, well, they'd go after you, but they'd, it would be almost like an incidental death. Leopard seals being a peak predator may, may take a liking to a small child. Uh, you know, not a good thing to Not, not a good thing beach. at all. No, 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 yeah. no. Not, not so, in Port Phillip Bay. Tell me about the Russians. Well, the Russians. Uh, uh, We're talking geopolitics. We are talking geopolitics. The Russians have... Um, Constructed floating nuclear power stations. <laughs> they haven't. They have. And there's one which is um, working right now. Um, its name, I forget at the moment, but I'll pull up the you know the article I was looking you at. You know it'll be in Russian and that won't mean anything to it's me. It's called anyway. the Academic uh, Lomosov. Of course. L- Lomonosov. Of course. Um, this is a 
yeah, nuclear power station, which a lot of people are saying perhaps this might be the easier to construct. That So what? I guess you've got the overarching thing of like do you want nuclear power or don't you want nuclear power? Yeah, let's set that aside. Let's set that aside because it's a very controversial and pers- thing. Well, yeah, but personally I, th- I say no. I think that cradle-to-grave waste is just take the cradle-to-grave waste and you've just dealt yourself out of the reality of, of nuclear power. But anyway, let's – okay, sorry, I just set it aside and then I talked about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to construct a nuclear power station, mm. apparently, according to the in-depth research I've done, which is reading one article from the paper, um, it's a lot more efficient to build – nuclear power stations on ships. Because you've got constant water supply? Um, no, I think it's just a lot easier to do that. Oh, that the energy that goes into actually making the thing... Really? Okay. Yeah. I guess because you can do it in one spot and then ship it out as opposed to... Have, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But the, the, the thing and then it's mobile, like... so you can take it to... you can The ship can move and then uh, it can wait. start generating <laughs> nuclear that's power. What, that's what worries me. That's though, what the worries ship can you. move. You know, it's like at least if it's in one spot, you can contain the, well, as much as they couldn't contain what came out of the Japanese one. You know, I mean, it's been popping up in fish in, all over the place. Well, the with the Japanese one, one, think of this. I mean, like the tsunami was what caused the demise. Yeah, but a ship. A ship. Well, yeah, but a ship, I mean, it can float on top. Well, I guess depending on where it is. <laughs> You'd have to be very quick. Quick, there's a tsunami. Turn your boat around and go the other direction. I don't know, it just seems Or, or I guess the tsunami be... could drag the ship in and crash, and it, crash it and then it you, have all this, yeah. and you get all of this happening. I reckon it's because um, you, cause you need so much water to cool nuclear power plants. You just, yeah, this is, is constant water. I reckon it's because you just basically are sitting on your water supply. And you are constantly exchanging. I think it's a bit of a waste, a bit of a dangerous development. And what I don't understand is so, so when they're using uh, water to cool the nuclear power station, that water surely is not just going to go back out into the sea. Oh, no, it's, it's, a, um, it's, contained. it's exchange. It's double exchange. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't. It's not contaminated water. I mean, you've got contaminated water where the rods are. Right, so it's cool, like coolant. cooling a radiator. Yeah, you yeah, get a counter-current radio. exchange, yeah, all yeah, of that. Yeah. Like in fish gills. Yeah, yes, yes, like in car engines. That's right. Yeah, yeah, so it's not, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, but the, oh gosh, that'd be worse, wouldn't it? Anyway, I, I, I was just, yeah, I'm just not so sure about it. Here's another one that came across on my desk this week, and we were out, this is all geopolitical, it's interesting, this is all kind of geopolitically int- intriguing. Oh, it's very highbrow. <laughs> and it's, you know, they're all related. You know, the Pacific Islands Forum is on this week. I do. Yeah, I and did our, say that. oh gosh, have we, oh no, hang on, have we got, no, we haven't changed Prime Minister this week, have we? No, no. We've got the same so. one that we had last week. That's cool. Hang on, so, there's an app for that, I think. <laughs> okay, so the Prime Minister we had last week um, is going, is not going. The Prime Minister we had the week before would have been going, but the Prime Minister we have last, yeah, that we have this week and last week is, is not going and he's choosing to send his new Foreign Minister, who was previously the Defence Minister into the other. Anyway, so Maurice Payne, who it seems like she's pretty switched on, yeah. is going to, um, it's in Nauru. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started today, yesterday, started yesterday. Anyway, and, and, and what I've seen in the news has been a lot of discussion about um, our concern about Chinese influence in the Pacific and, you know, right, you know, right of movement, free right of movement and all that kind of stuff, naval stuff. And, and that's great. You know, let's, let's you know, do make sure that we're on top of our kind of security obligations and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, there's a really interesting article by Michael O'Keefe, who's the head of the 
um, politics department at La Trobe Uni in the conversation, which makes one crucial point, and that is that while we are sitting here deeply concerned about how we appear to be a good friend on security issues for our neighbours in the Pacific and humanitarian grounds, we do tend to, to, to do that a bit, um, the Pacific is saying, excuse me, can you please help us with this climate change thing? And we're not doing much. And we're not doing anything. And it's very, very real, as we've talked for two decades on this program. If you are living on a, a, a low-lying island in the Pacific, yes. Kiribati, all those we've talked about, all that over and over again. And so what I found really interesting, it's a very interesting article um, on the conversation, just came out yesterday, I think the day before, uh, and just has a look at that kind of mis disconnection between what the Pacific island is, islands are focused on and what we are focused on. So do they think that the Chinese are going to do more? Well, well, actually, it's a very interesting question. Don't know. Right. Don't know. It's a very interesting question. Maybe, well, whoever's going to do more for for climate change for the Pacific Islands, maybe they'll get their vote in the security stakes. Yeah. Indeed you do. You are on 3RRR. It is 25 minutes to the hour of 9 o'clock. Um, or or the hour of 10 o'clock. Or 10 o'clock, yes. There we go. I'm completely thrown by it all. It'd be 35 minutes past the hour of 9 it would, Yeah, you're right. I, I've, got to, I've got to wake up. Hey, so just quickly, because um, we are kind of now wittering on a little bit, did you see during the week the Bureau of Meteorology's climate outlook, three-month climate outlook? I did. Out? Yeah, it's going it's to be um, a hot, dry spring and summer. Basically, yeah. So it's not a good look, really, frankly. No. And so that got me thinking about El Nino and La Nina and the Indian Ocean Dipole or the OI. ID and all, uh, yeah, and all those things, and we kind of take for granted what they are. What's first, the OID? Indian Ocean Dipole. Right. Mm, Why is the O first? Beg your pardon. IOD. IOD. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's just morning. It's, it's, Sunday it's, it's, morning. It's an iod as opposed to an oid. Yeah, it's an oid. Yeah, you're right. Hey, so anyway, let me tell you, it is the outlook for the weather is neutral for the next three months. Now, what that means is it's staying the same. It's not necessarily getting any worse or any less. And when you deep dig into that, it actually means it's going to stay dry. And then, I, then within it, the, uh, the El Nino watch or the Enso watch, and I'm going to have to explain that one, aren't I? You so are, yeah, Enso, yeah. Because I've got a blank E-N-S-O, puzzle. Look on my face. He has E-N-S-O. It stands for El Nino Southern Oscillation. Right. And the oscillation is the temperature, and we'll come back to that. Right? Yeah oscillating across the ocean. Okay, so anyway, they have a thing. The Bureau has a thing, as we've talked about in the past, called El Nino Watch or Enso Outlook. Yep. And it gives you a probability of the likelihood of an El Nino or La Nina happening. La Nina is just the opposite. We'll talk yep. about this. And at the moment, it is at watch level. <laughs> okay? At which so means? Goes, so it goes from inactive to watch to alert to El Nino or La Nina, whichever way, whichever way it's going. And it's going towards watch for El Nino, which indicates there's a roughly 50% chance of an El Nino forming this year, which is double the u- usual likelihood. Okay. So it's twice as likely to get an El Nino. Okay. Now, what that typically means is below average rainfall, as you mentioned, yeah. in eastern and northern Australia. Now, New South Wales is already in a huge drought. And lots of Queensland. Bits of Queensland, yep. Yeah, and some bits of Northern Victoria. This is not a good thing. Now, if you double, if you, sorry, couple that with the Indian Ocean Dipole, which is basically 
the dipole bending both sides. It's the same. It's the, it's the oscillation temperatures in the Indian yep. Ocean going from Africa to Australia, a um, bit like the oscillation in the other one in El Nino and La Nina is the oscillation of the temperatures in the sea surface. Um, when you have an Indian Ocean dipole that is positive, which means it's hotter on our side of the ocean, so we've got the hot water on the Pacific side, the hot water on the Indian side, it actually means that rainfall is below average in central and southern Australia. So we're getting a double whammy this year. It does happen, but it's not, it's not really common. Now, it's only 50% likely to happen, 50% more likely than normal, which is roughly 50-50 at the minute. It would be bad if we had both of those. It means quite prolonged and significant um, air, you know, drought. So, so for my pea-sized brain, mm-hmm. um, we're, so we're going to get hit by this stuff happening in the Pacific and yeah. also in the Indian Ocean. So yeah. we're going to get it from both sides we of the are. country. The country is, yeah. The whole country is. Yeah. And now let's talk about the stuff, okay? So El Nino, as you suggested earlier, it stands for little boy. Yeah. And it actually comes from El Nino de Navidad, which is the little boy of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And in the seven, 1600s, the Peruvian farmers <laughs> noticed that some Christmases they got a gift of rain and they called it the little boy of Christmas. Oh, thank you That's for cool, this. That, that, gorgeous, thank you for that. Kind of, you know, like yeah. Etymology. The, and the first is really interesting actually. A Spanish, I think, or am I, I'm going to get this wrong. Either Spanish or Portuguese. I apologise to both the people of Spain and Portugal. Um, in 1525, in the deserts of Peru, is the first person to take a chart of rainfall in the deserts of Peru, which is actually we now worked out the first time that someone had written down in kind of Western writing the existence of... Um, so it's the first kind of El Nino weather report in 1525. Yeah. So while Christian de Mendonça was going down the west coast of Australia, probably an Indian Ocean dipole, this guy, whose name I've now forgotten, was heading down the Peruvian coast and finding rain in the desert. So anyway, since then, the farmers have known and the fishermen have known about the little boy of Christmas, El Nino de Navidad. And La Nina. And La Nina is the opposite. So let's talk about what normally happens. So what normally happens in the Pacific, and this is the bit that no one ever explains, I think, and I I always lose. Yeah. So what normally happens in the Pacific is the sea surface temperatures are warmer in the western side of the Pacific. Okay? Yeah. So which means, but not like right up banged up against the Australian coastline, just like kind of out a bit. <laughs> Coral sea and out, you know. Yeah. And it's actually significantly warmer. It could be two, three, four, even five times warmer Celsius in the sea surface temperatures in the Western Pacific as it is in the Eastern Pacific. And this is related to the Coriolis effect and the earth spinning and the currents. Do you know what? No one really knows exactly why the ENSO happens, the switching of the. We, we don't know. We just can we, we can predict roughly when it will happen, but no one knows what drives it. There's all these theories, and you're right about the spinning of the Earth and everything, but no one understands these global sail weather patterns yet. It's really interesting, like the full cause. Anyway, so you get this really like a major heating of the water. That's this is the normal kind yeah. of phase, right? <clears throat> heating of the water in the west. And basically what happens in... In the west of the Pacific. Western Pacific, yeah, yeah. And that means the trade winds come across the equator, equatorial Pacific. They come across from South America towards Australia. So they go from right to left, from east to west. It's you're looking at it, if you look at it upside down. Yeah, yeah, they go from east to west, yeah. And so um, that means that you end up with these rains, normal rains that clouds form and they form in the Western Pacific and, you know, rains fall, and then there's a circulation pattern. In an El Nino year, for whatever reason, 
which we don't fully yet understand, there's a release of that and the sea surface temperatures all start to move over to the west of the Pacific. Oops. <laughs> to the east of the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. And that stops the upwelling because if you've got winds coming off the coast of the land, the sea surface is being pushed away from the land and you get the cold water coming up. Which, which we know normal, brings all the brings lovely all the nutrients, nutrients. And that's and why the fishermen like the normal surface. Yes, plankton love it. Yeah. Yep. Lots of plankton, lots of fish. Lots and of fish so in an El Nino year, all that warm water is suddenly moving east and it's moving over near the centre of the Pacific Ocean, not the west, which sets up two circulation patterns. The rains fall in the middle of the ocean, not on either end, and we bugger up our rainfall, which is why we don't get as much rain. That's beautiful. Do you think? Well, uh, well, that's not beautiful, <laughs> but yeah, you've explained it to me. You know, again, my pea-sized brain has, 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 has finally got that. I, th- I think I'm following it. So guess what happens in La Nina then? The reverse? Yes. So it moves, it squishes that warm water instead of going kind of... um, I should say in in El Nino, the trade winds actually then come from both directions. So there's enough movement. So you get trade winds off Indonesia and off Australia blowing out into the ocean, weirdly, the wrong direction, Mm. and you get them still off South America, but they're weaker in both ways. So you don't get the upwelling in either place. Now, La Nina is when it flips around and for whatever reason we don't know, um, it pushes crashed right up against the northern Australian po- coastline and Indonesia. And so you end up with this warm sea surface water <laughs> squished right up against it. We probably get lots of coral bleaching nowadays when that happens. Yeah. And um, you don't get – and you get really strong trade winds blowing off um, – uh, the South American coast, get more up and get all kinds of other wacky things. And it brings more rain to us, La Nina. So we break droughts with La Nina. There are less, weirdly, less La Ninas than there are El Ninos in history, which I, I don't fully understand how that works. That whole system is an oscillation, hence Enso, El Nino Southern Oscillation. Even though you, you get less La Ninas than you do El Ninos. Yeah, but it oscillates. So it oscillates. It oscillates yeah, backwards and forwards, but it's yeah. a little bit biased towards one side. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit. So there you go. Anthony, thank you very much That's for that right. explanation. And, and if you take that whole system and you put it in the Indian Ocean, that's pretty roughly, you know, apologies to all of my oceanography friends, kind of roughly what happens with the Indian Ocean dipole. Roughly similar. And there you it, go. So it, it just, but, it, but less degrees. Weirdly, the temperature differential between the west and east of the Indian Ocean is only roughly on the scale of one or two degrees, max, usually around one. In the Pacific, when it's a hard-running El Nino, it can be many, many, many degrees, five degrees. Wow. There you go. That was, that, that was just you know, outstanding, Anthony. <laughs> that, that, that's just amazing Sunday morning radio, the kind of stuff that you get here on 3RRR. And, uh, yeah. Tell me about diatoms and their oozing. Diatoms. Well, do you... Do you Diatoms. Let's 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 remind ourselves of the importance of diatoms. Well, wait, Di- what a diatom is. Diatoms. Uh, phytoplankton. Plant plankton. Tiny things. Tiny things. Microscopic things. They live in the ocean. They live in virtually any fresh any body of water that you can find. But there's heaps of them in the ocean. They when come you say all- heaps, what do you mean? Like, if you picked up like a little cup of water in the ocean, you went down to go to Peter, looked under a microscope, would you find one? Uh, you would. You'd find lots of different oh. sorts. You'd find ones which float in the in the in the water column, and they've got yeah. like spines off them, and all of those things. And there are also, if you had a look on any surface of, like a, a seagrass blade, for example, yeah. you would find diatoms there. Sure, Sometimes sure. on rocks, they can be they can be slimy things, which you, 
which is silicon. Yeah. Yeah. So they do photosynthesis. Instead of being green like the plants on land that we're all used to, but we all know already that in the oceans we have green seaweeds, we have brown seaweeds and we have red seaweeds. And so too we have different coloured plankton representing the different photosynthetic pigments they have. Diatoms have brown pigments, so they are golden brown in colour. Oh, and very nicely they build little glass houses for, them, for themselves. So they're in what we call siliceous frustules. Oh, wow. Hey, say that again. Siliceous frustules. Oh, so a frustule is, is like, you know, earth, a, 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 imagine a Petri dish. You've, yeah. you've seen a Petri dish. People, you know, yeah. You've got one bit of glass sitting inside yeah. another bit of glass. Yeah. Diatoms look like that. And inside the Petri dish, they have all their organelles, all the stuff that makes them an organism, a living organism and a plasma membrane. But they have... They can't cut out of it though, can they? They no, no, like they can't. Well, it's like it's like a. No, no, like they need that. That protects them. That, yeah, that, yeah. That's that. That what that's what keeps them cosy, and they have all sorts of bristles and extensions off it. They are beautiful things, and that keeps them afloat in the water column, enabling them to stay up high where they do an enormous amount of photosynthesis. And one of the byproduct, the big byproduct, the kind of waste product, if you like, of photosynthesis, <laughs> yeah. is oxygen, that which gets pumped, in, pumped into like. the atmosphere. Yeah, <laughs> the and little, we love oxygen. We, we love need that. oxygen. Yeah. In fact, as I reckon I've mentioned a couple of times on this show, every second breath of oxygen that we breathe, we have organisms such as the diatoms to thank. Oh, I love that statistic. It comes from the ocean. It comes from phytop- So on land we have plants doing photosynthesis, popping awesome. oxygen into the atmosphere. We breathe that. Before photosynthesis happened, evolved about three billion years ago, there was very little oxygen in the atmosphere. Yeah, we couldn't be here. We? we wouldn't be here at all. No animals. Full of like None of these things that use oxygen. Things. Yeah. Weird things that use sulfur. Yeah, so photosynthesis drags yep. carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere in the pro- so it uses that carbon, which so is in carbon dioxide, to, to make stuff, carbohydrates. So, the so they're pretty handy little things. Really <laughs> handy, beautiful things. Diatoms are fantastic. There's lots of them. After they've finished doing their the life, so they do they divide. So once that yeah, yeah. once one diatom cell will divide every 24 hours, 48 hours, oh, depending wow. on the species, into two more. So in a sense, they are almost immortal, but <sighs> A lot of them will will die, and they will rain down onto the surface of what well, the seabed. Yeah, yeah. So you have like the, this plankton rain, which is falling down, and diatoms are made of silica, which is pretty heavy. Yeah. Glass. Think of it. They got they're in glass frustules. Instead of yeah, let's stop using the word silica. Glass. And they're everywhere in sand. Uh, yeah, everywhere in sand. You, you can you find lots of sand, different species yeah, yeah. in, but they're called the episamic ones or the oh, intersamic. Oh, yeah, of course yeah, they yeah, are. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pelagic ones, the ones in the open ocean, yeah. will rain down and they form this. And when they're doing photosynthesis, they make stuff, carbohydrate, okay. and a lot yeah. of fatty lipid things, which we dig up later on, like millions and millions and millions and millions of years later, yeah. as oil. Yeah, so this right. is where oil comes yeah. from. Coal, pa- pa- coal comes... Well, and, and also, yeah, some land plants as well. Coal but comes from trees. Coal comes from yeah, trees, way organ. back in yep, the Carboniferous, yep. big ferns and yep, stuff like yep. that. You know, heaps of that happening in Western Victoria, which is why we have brown coal there now. And the link to that is that when we burn brown coal, we push nasty stuff into the atmosphere, not only carbon dioxide, but also things such as mercury. When we smelt gold, a lot of mercury and silver, yeah, a lot yeah. of mercury goes into the atmosphere. People have wondered about... How can we measure all this mercury, and where, you know, where can we find it settling out? Where does it all sort of finish up? I'm intrigued. You're intrigued. Um, a few Germans um, from, Love I think, a Max Planck Institute. Max Planck Institute in mm-hmm. Germany. What is their address? They're at, they're at the University of Braunschweig. Um, they're at the Technical University of Braunschweig in the at the Department of Geology. They went down to the Southern Ocean. In fact, they went to the Antarctic, and three spots around Antarctica. 
they drilled cores down. Mm. And in those cores, they found a lot of diatomers. Now, diatomers represents the all these diatoms over thousands, millions, gazillions of years raining down onto the floor <laughs> of the ocean. Yeah. And estimates that about 11% of the ocean floor is covered in diatom ooze. And is this like the precursor to before it gets squished and made into oil? Yeah, exactly. Kind of yeah, you're all over it, Yeah, 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 yeah cool. you're getting it. Yeah. Um, 11% of the ocean floor has 11%. diatom ooze. 11%. So if you, if and you it accumulates could, in certain spots. If you could get to there, you'd stick your foot in this and go... <laughs> Through it, yeah, and, and, and if you were to whack that under a microscope, you would see the remains of, of the, all these diatoms of all these diatoms because okay. okay. they have really beautiful architecture. If you look under under, under a you know, large ass microscope, they look yeah. beautiful, really, really <laughs> beautiful. Term, is it Te- large it's a technical, ass yeah, yep. it, it's the LAM. <laughs> <laughs> well, scanning electron microscope might be better for you. Yeah, imagine rather than a large ass one. Yeah. So as they as they as they're falling down through yeah. the water column. So I'm going to get back to the So we've got atmospheric yeah. mercury. Yeah, yeah, That dissolves in the water. Yeah. And as these things are falling down, they don't sort of metabolically accumulate the mercury, but it sticks to them. Huh. And these dudes from Germany have done these cores and they've found that up to 20% of, and probably more, well, around 20% of the atmospheric mercury that we've pumped into the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution, so in the last, you know, 150, 200 years, yeah. is locked up. In this diatom ooze. No. They've done estimate. 20% of it is locked up in diatom ooze. That's a ooze. shirtload of mercury. It is a shirtload of mercury. And particularly when you consider that more mercury has been pumped into the atmosphere in the northern hemisphere than it has in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. And what they're doing these cores on are the ones in, in, the the, in the south. They don't say why they went to Antarctica. Perhaps they'll just want a holiday oh, in Antarctica, which often happens Germany, with scientists yeah, that ends up yeah, being, you know, yeah. your... Um, and then, then, your, then your, your research site is where you, in fact, want to go. <laughs> they, might, they might have had a free ticket to Antarctica and thought, oh, well, let's <laughs> chuck a couple of cores down and do that. Uh, anyway, pretty astounding result that there's heaps and so heaps on. and so heaps of it in, locked up in this diatom ooze. You can go, you pick out your core of your diatom ooze and, and, and you can basically go, oh, the ooze is, you know, million years old or yes, whatever. Yes, And then you look at the top So they, they, they've looked go, at the Holocene, which is you know, kind of recent, recent period, last nine, 10,000 yeah. years, you know, the period that you know, when Very we started, cool. you know, starting to destroy the earth, in other words, when we became so-called civilised and settled down and then we had yeah. the Industrial Revolution over that, so past that. So in that period of 10,000 years they've traced, and it's been pretty constant. So is this... Is this a good thing? Is it, are these are these diatoms kind of almost accidentally ripping uh, one of our pollutants out of the air and kind of storing it for us? I mean, in a very kind of you know weirdly human um, anthropocentric way. This indeed is that. the question I asked myself as I was reading this paper, and I don't know the answer to that. So I guess what what we have to do, what we we, we have to be careful. I mean, I guess where we might dredge, for example, yeah. is that we don't want to dig up any diatomers and then sort of release all this mercury. This but, 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 it's kind of, but, but this is way deep. This is like, yeah, down, okay. you know, this is down a long way. How interesting. I thought so. And, and, the, di- and the mercury just sticks to them. It just sticks it's to like them. It's like a chemical reaction. It's like a chemical. They say it, it, it sort of scavenges it. The diatom's scavenging it. So, so there, there's very little evidence of, of, them of actually phytoplankton actually incorporating yeah, yeah, yeah. biologically mercury into them. But, but, there's, but so there's silica frustules, there's bits Goodness. of glass, there's glass chips that go to make up this diatomers and indeed which makes the diatom cell, oh, gathers all this mercury I'm deeply and impressed puts it that. down there. Yeah. But uh, what, just before I leave that, only about twice the amount of... So in, in these cores, in the, yeah. you know, where they've traced it down in the there's last several years... Oh, oh. That, that means we're finishing, all right. <laughs> 
There's only about twice as much mercury in these diatom oozes in the last 150 years as there was 200 or 250 years ago. In other words, that in the Industrial Revolution, well, since the Industrial Revolution, we haven't accumulated as much mercury in these sediments as we thought we might have. Yeah, okay. Even though there's a lot there, you'd think there might be more. How interesting. Love it. Thank you. Well, that's, it has that's been a wonderful week. We haven't had any guests, so we should just thank ourselves. We should just thank um, ourselves. Next yeah, week. Um, I'm not sure who's in next week. I think Bron's back next week. Yes, she is. Um, this has been our post-Radiothon Calm session. We'll, um, we'll see you soon. Bye. Sign on. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.